District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Happy March, everyone, and welcome to another installment of District of Conservation. There's no better way to kick off a new month than to have a really, really great interview. We're going on the theme of having some interviews this week as I prepare to do some speeches in the coming weeks. And I thought, who better than Charlotte Whalen, who has become someone I work closely with, given my visiting fellowship with Independent Women's Forum. And she's also a friend, too. I consider her a friend as well. And we're talking energy policy, especially in wake of what is happening, globally speaking, in terms of the Ukrainian situation, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And we're going to talk about ESGs, what those mean, And do we kind of see a shift away from this climate-centric energy policy, which calls for net zero decarbonizing, and if that really is a sustainable policy anymore, especially given the vulnerabilities of countries in Europe transitioning away from fossil fuels to wind and solar? We're going to talk about Germany, other things. Here is a little bio of Charlotte from IWF's website. And she is a policy analyst focusing on energy and climate policy. Her work has been published in a variety of outlets, including The Hill, The Washington Examiner, and The Daily Caller, and many other places, too. She is a member of the Emerging Leaders Council at the Steamboat Institute, which is a great free market conservative organization out of Colorado. And she graduated from Princeton University and lives in the Jacksonville, Florida area with her husband and daughter. Here's my interview with Charlotte. I hope you enjoy it. And be sure, of course, to bookmark and follow IWF. Cannot speak highly enough of the organization. It's not a paid endorsement, but want to give them a plug. Please, please, please. With it being March and Women's International Month and Women's International Day, who better to support than some empowered ladies at IWF? So go give them a follow as well after you listen to the podcast Hello, listeners. We have Charlotte Whalen from Independent Women's Forum joining us today. If you guys don't know, Charlotte and I work quite closely on covering energy issues for the organization as part of my visiting fellowship. And I figured I would bring her on to talk about her work in this niche area, kind of what's trending. We're going to talk about ESGs. Those often come up when it comes to corporate responsibility and perhaps some current affairs and the future of U.S. energy policy and security. So, Charlotte, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners and tell how you fell into this issue? Absolutely. So um, I work for IWF as a policy analyst. I work mainly on energy policy, but touch on a few other things. And I honestly sort of fell into energy policy. I think it's really interesting. I think that it's really important and certainly a popular subject, climate change, whatever else is a very popular subject right now for policy. But I sort of fell into it because I needed an energy or not energy, a um, a specialty. And it was something I thought was interesting and something that IWF wanted us to work on. And so it's just kind of a good opportunity was presented itself and I took advantage of it. Certainly. And you've done a lot. You've written some policy briefs, you've written op-eds, blog posts, uh, unicorn fact checks, and you do a lot on this issue. And I think this session, you have help from both me and Mandy Gunasekara, and we're really, really excited to work with you. But you kind of tackle, I think, most of the energy portfolio. And I know Kelsey Bolar used to help you a bit um, until some of the fellows were able to assist you. But has it been an interesting 
kind of journey, especially in the last year, there's a lot of energy news that trends. Oh, absolutely. Like, I feel like there's constantly things happening that I should be writing about or talking about and don't have time to cover everything. And it's great to have your and Mandy's help and Kelsey's as well. Um, and I, I think that in energy or climate broad, climate change, climate issues broadly, there's so much to cover that I've kind of decided to focus on energy policy, you know, because you write about conservationism more broadly. Um, Mandy has kind of the EPA side. And so I've tried to focus on energy sources. So where are we getting our energy? What's the energy mix? Um, if you want to try to reduce emissions, what's the best way to do that? And you've certainly seen kind of the range of approaches in the last few years. Um, and whether it's, you know, trying to revoke or trying to embrace a renewables only approach, which I think is terribly misguided, um, or actually you know, using American innovation to solve these, find creative solutions to reduce emissions, which is a great, great goal. Um, we need to find ways to do it that are efficient and reliable and affordable for the American public. Certainly, and we're seeing that now, especially in the last week, few days especially, how vulnerable the United States could be in terms of energy security when we all find out or all have found out that we are actually importing a lot of oil from Russia and Russia dominates the energy market in Europe. They supply Europe and much of the world uh, oil and gas and people kind of see a really big change in energy policy from the previous administration to this one and kind of the vulnerabilities that have appeared just within a year of this new administration. So in your kind of purview, have you noticed that? And um, like you had talked about, seen kind of holes to the argument that you have to go totally in this decarbonization push without any consideration for kind of the short-term consequences for that. Yeah, I think it's really dangerous. I think with the this current Biden administration, it's been really disastrous, the approach they've taken, because I think from day one, you know, they said like an executive order, he said, I'm going to fight climate change. I'm going to do have climate be part of like everything in the administration, which is just ridiculous because climate has nothing to do with very, like there are various parts of the government that have nothing to do with climate and we shouldn't try to pretend otherwise. But at the same time, they've also crippled like domestic gas and oil industry by trying to kind of tamp down on our fracking industry, which has been huge in helping the U.S. to have energy security and some independence. And he's increased our reliance on foreign nations. You mentioned Russia, of course, is a huge issue right now with their current invasion invasion of Ukraine. But also, it's also an issue with the other countries in OPEC, um, which aren't necessarily friendly countries. And Biden, you know, as gas prices have risen at home as a result of tamping down domestic oil prices and also with people getting back to kind of more vacations and using, you know, it's part of just the market in general, but he basically begged OPEC. And that's embarrassing. Like the leader of the free world, the US, the US president shouldn't be begging people to have, you know, produce more oil. He should be encouraging domestic producers to produce more oil and boosting our economy that way and help reduce oil or reduce prices that way. Like there are a wide variety of the paths he's taken, the decisions he's made have really hurt our domestic industry and just made us more reliant on foreign nations that aren't necessarily friendly, <clears throat> Russia, as well as hurting our domestic companies, which have served us well and will continue to serve us well, but we need to actually take advantage of it. With kind of the U.S.'s refusal to maintain and develop fossil fuels, especially against Russia dominating the market, what do you think the future of the climate energy portfolio is? Because it seems like they're going to be on the losing end, especially as 
Now more and more people are going to have to look to oil and gas to power their homes and, and fill up their cars. Yeah. So they're kind of two answers that I kind of, two answers I want to give you from this question. So the first thing you mentioned is Germany. Now Germany is a really interesting kind of case study for energy because they've been on the forefront of like a renew, trying to embrace renewables only since I think the early 2000s. I have in mind like 2008, which, or earlier, which might be wrong. I don't, you don't need to quote me on that one or fact check me, but They've said, okay, we're going to have this basically aggressive push to reduce carbon emissions. We're going to do renewable only. We're not going to have nuclear. We're not going to have coal. We're not going to have gas. We're going to just do renewables only. But what's happened is that their energy has gotten insanely expensive. Um, It's unreliable. They've had blackouts and had to import energy from neighboring countries. They actually use more coal than other countries. And, and I think they use about, I think about 50% of their natural gas comes from Russia because they need a ton of natural gas because they've refused to use nuclear power, which is a huge advantage and tool that we should be utilizing all over the place if we want to actually or meaningfully reduce carbon emissions in an economically realistic and affordable way. And so they've basically crippled themselves in a way by trying to have this renewable only approach and we've seen, like, you can see what happens. You can kind of see what's going to happen if the Biden administration takes the same approach, is we're going to be weak. We're going to be relying on other countries. If we cripple our domestic oil industry, we're going to be relying on other countries even more so than we do right now for our oil, because we're still going to need it. We can't just switch to renewables overnight. And it's not, the technology isn't ready. Like, renewables are great. They should be part of our energy um, mix, but they shouldn't be, they can't be our main energy right now. That's just not possible. And we see things like we've mentioned the Keystone pipeline cancellation. And that was just absolutely disastrous because that pipeline actually would have been a net zero like emissions. Like I don't not I'm not quite sure how it was, like how it would work, but I remember reading when it can, when it was canceled that like the pipeline, the permit was revoked and the pipeline was just canceled by the company that was trying to build it, that it would have been a net zero um, producer of emissions over its lifetime. It would have been a really, like, one of the most efficient pipelines. And in fact, I also saw another number, I think it was just this morning and it was on Twitter, so I haven't checked its source, but that that would have produced about like 880,000 gallons or barrels. I don't know the unit, but that amount of oil and we get like 550 something of that same unit from Russia. So like mm-hmm. it would have imported the oil that we are currently getting from Russia. And that would have been a huge um, boost to our energy security. We're getting it from Canada, which is a very friendly ally that we have no really concerns of attorney otherwise. And that's a great way to get oil and a great way to continue having jobs for American people, which, you know, we have a, actually a, a lack of labor at the moment, but still like a lot of people lost jobs over that. And just in every sector, it seems like in terms of like in every area of the, of the energy policy world, the Biden administration has just been blindly following this. We need to fight climate change. We need to embrace renewables only. We need to drastically reform our economy in ways that just aren't realistic and are just going to make, as you said, make us weaker. And really just, it's kind of a scary future if we actual, actually follow it down that path. And I think they're realizing it a little bit. Like they're starting to embrace nuclear a bit more. I've seen like more and more things that like a bunch of environmental groups that were like very anti-nuclear are now realizing we need nuclear power if they want to actually, because it's carbon free. It's huge and it's cheap, reliable, affordable. It's really a great energy source, regardless of what you think about climate change, you should embrace um, nuclear power. And so I think they're starting to realize it a little bit. 
And so at least that would take, we're kind of diverting from Germany's path because they've been shutting down their nuclear plants. And so at least we're not quite taking the same path. But I think that we'll see, we'll see how it plays out. But unless we, I think we had to change course quite a bit or from like the renewables only crazy approach to this or else we're going to be in a really weak position. Yeah, I would hope that they take cues from what's happening in Ukraine and just realize being very dependent on Russia for oil and gas is a fool's errand. Unfortunately, it seems like in the sanctions they've put out, they haven't really targeted their energy markets. That would be more effective from what I was told in terms of destabilizing them and then obviously unleashing American energy dominance, I think could really, really um, help us kind of counteract, like you said, Keystone Pipeline construction start to develop more here safely. I think what people misunderstand is if you build a pipeline, it just is constructed and it's so disastrous and there's no input, no stakeholder input, and it will just destroy because I think they have this like 1960s, 1970s view of energy development where they, unfortunately there were vulnerabilities and weaknesses with technology. Things are a lot better now to, in terms of development, um, they take safety precautions and it's not me just talking for big oil or some company. I'm not paid by any means to say that, but I think objectively speaking, it would be in their best interest to construct pipelines that are safe. And why wouldn't they? Because people who work for them are conscious about the environment. They want to have a good product. So I think they have this very kind of black and white view of like, oh my gosh, it's all so bad, kind of related. But I wanted to bring you on specifically to discuss this because I've heard about this a long, long time. And it kind of relates to corporate social responsibility in a sense, but it's environmental, social, and governance. And it's known as ESG. So you just wrote a policy brief on this. Can you explain what ESG is, why companies are looking to do this, the problems and shortcomings with it? Yeah, absolutely. So ESG is just the idea of taking environmental, social, and governance issues, principles into kind of when you when you make your business decisions, you can take them into account. Um, it's most traditionally, we've heard it a lot in like investing. So big companies like BlackRock, which is the world's like largest asset manager, has embraced ESG investing. Um, and they try, they have enough, they've tried to reduce, or they do it in the environmental sector the most. So they try to have like carbon free or like divest from fossil fuels in ways they invest. Um, other companies, it can it can be a wide range of things. Ironically, ESG doesn't have like things that fall into ESG don't have specific definitions. So it's not necessarily like we don't have okay, this, this, and this are ESG, but these other things aren't. It's really a broad, lacking definition idea. So a lot of companies are saying we're embracing ESG, which they may or may not be doing anything, but they're going to say they're doing it because it's a way of virtue signaling. It's a way of saying that we are, you know, trying to combat climate change. We are so socially responsible. We are having good governments. And those are good things. Like those aren't ESG investing or using those principles aren't necessarily bad things um, because it could be, it could be a good thing. It's good to be sustainable. It's good to have good governance practices for your employees to have, I don't know, good paid time off and, there's a wide variety of ways that it can be a good thing and or companies should be doing, should be incorporating these concepts into how they work generally, even without saying it's ESG, that'd be a good thing. You want companies to be socially responsible. It'd be good if they you know, take note of how um, their products affect consumers and the, the climate and all sorts of stuff. That's a great thing, but it's really dangerous is when they embrace it at kind of the cost of their bottom line. So if they're saying we're gonna to go totally um, carbon emission free, 
but it's going to cost so much more. We're not going to have, or investing, we're not going to have as good of a return on investment. That's where it gets dangerous. Or they'll embrace really woke policies. So like some companies, um, I think it was uh, Bank of America had this like anti-racism training for all of its comp- all of its employees. And that's clearly embracing this totally very progressive woke mentality. And a lot of it is virtue signaling. They're saying we, we're taking, or we're, excuse me, we are embracing these ESG concepts. And I think it's a way of kind of protecting themselves from criticism from the left, because they might say we're embracing these, but they're not actually do that much, but it's a way to kind of shield themselves and say, we're with you, um, which is, I think can be really dangerous. Interesting. Yeah. And I will recommend to everyone listening to read your policy brief so they can learn more about it. I think it's really a fascinating topic. We don't hear kind of a response to it. So I thought you did a really great job of laying out what it is, some of the shortcomings to it, and why it's starting to creep kind of corporate culture. I also want to ask you, what is kind of on the docket for IWF in the coming months? I know we're working together to help me put out a policy brief, which I'm so excited for our policy focus uh, sometime around Earth Day. So that's really exciting. But what else can I think people expect from IWF on the energy and environment portfolio side? Well, I think we'll definitely be talking a lot about our critical minerals supply chain. That's been a big topic overall because the Biden administration, if they're pushing for renewables or electric vehicles, we're going to need a lot more of these critical minerals. And a lot of the mining operations or production of them is controlled by China, which is another unfriendly um, actor in the world. And so that is something that we're going to be talking about because we're going to find ways to boost domestic production or find production and manufacturing in friendly countries, or also the issue is that if countries, as you said earlier, like China and Russia dominate, whether it's, you know, producing energy or mining operations, they care a lot less about environmental concerns associated with those practices or those processes. And so it's really not in the U.S.'s best interest or really in our interest in terms of reducing carbon emissions and fighting climate change to actually Um, kind of hand over the reins and the production processes and rely on these foreign nations for these key kind of components of our energy um, mix. So that's what we'll be talking about a lot. I think, I think it's going to, it's a bit of the news. We're going to keep talking about it, especially in light of, as I know we already talked about it, but with Russia, it's all I'm thinking about right now um, is we're going to find, we need to find ways to boost our energy security. And that's a big way we could do it, but it'll take some time. And we need to start like right now. I learned recently from someone who works in this directly. He used to work in Trump's DOD and he was talking about how long it takes to process critical minerals, like 10 years. And I was aghast when he told me that. And I was, and we had a full on conversation. This was actually at Carrie Sheffield's birthday locally a few weeks ago, very fascinating Uh conversation. And of course these, these happen at these type of events, even birthday parties, but It was really fascinating. He's like, well, the U.S.'s refusal to do this and probably not reforming NEPA to allow the streamlining of this to happen. But he said, because it takes 10 years, even if, uh, you know, with it taking 10 years, it could be for a while. Let's say if, if Biden administration's agenda were viable, they wouldn't be able to accomplish much because they're not domestically mining much. I don't know how much they're using from existing mines. Obviously, like Mandy wrote about the twin metal mine cancellation, that I think could have a huge impact on them trying to meet these goals and even to supply for other items, you know, technology, cell phones, things of that sort, even apart from EV construction. 
but um, it seems like there's a refusal for them to not only domestically drill, but also to source critically for essential minerals that are needed for, you know, building a EV fleet for, you know, transitioning to clean energy. So they refuse to do two prongs. And it seems to me like they'll still heavily rely on this, even though they're putting a message of made in America, union, clean energy, but they refuse to do it at home. Is that kind of the mixed messaging you notice as well? Oh, absolutely. Like, as you said, like you mentioned the, the piece that Mandy wrote, it's on IWF.org uh, about the twin metal, twin metals mine being permit being revoked or being shut down. And it's, it's this like disastrous policy. That's, I use that word perhaps too much, but I really do think that the Biden administration's energy and foreign policy is just a mess because it's when we need these critical minerals, even if we're not actually like boosting our renewable energy a ton, we still need them for what we're doing right now. And the, the advertise there were, um, wind and solar power has been, the use has been absolutely exploding in the last few years. And that's great. If the market's pushing, that's awesome. You know, embrace that. But it's dangerous for us to keep sourcing these from other countries. Um, cobalt comes from, a lot of it comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo, which mm-hmm. are controlled by Chinese-owned mines where there's child labor and a ton of different issues and environmental issues going on. And so, but the interesting thing though, is that in this whole like, climate or carbon emissions like addition or math kind of on how much we produce if you source these minerals or materials from mines that you don't own that aren't in your country then you're going to have fewer emissions because those emissions are going to those countries does that make sense and so if they're trying to like say like we're reducing carbon emissions and we brought it down we're they'll look better in terms of like on the paper math of how many carbon emissions we're having instead of a domestic mine. But the issue is that, you know, if people want to reduce carbon emissions, it doesn't matter if the U.S. reduces ours to zero if Russia and China and India are still have tons of emissions because they will, you know, dwarf us anyways. They already do in how many emissions they produce. And it's a world issue. It's not just the U.S. cleaning things up. And so it really is just not effective in terms of keeping our energy secure, keeping us having, having us enough, excuse me, giving us enough minerals that we need for the current products going on, you know, jobs in the US, good paying jobs, like all these things are good if we can, as I said, we need to start doing, opening these domestic mines or allowing them, don't shut them down, the ones that's already operating in Minnesota um, to actually have these, materials that we need in the future. A reasonable ask, but I don't know if the betters in Washington are listening, unfortunately, because it seems like they have interest certainly to just do clean energy. Maybe they have some foreign entanglements from mines abroad, who knows? Uh, but it, it would be wise to mine domestically, but I don't know if it'll take a really bad event like Ukraine for them or China being aggressive in Taiwan for them to change their tune in terms of domestic mining. I hope it does not come to that, but it's interesting that they still refuse to do things domestically despite kind of genuflecting and saying, yes, we're going to do this. Yes, we're going to do it. But there's no timeline as to when it's going to happen. And it may happen in five to 10 years if we're lucky. Charlotte, where could everyone follow your work, connect with you to learn more about your energy and environment work and how they can learn more about IWF's fabulous, fabulous uh, mission statement. So um, my work can be found on IWF.org. Um, learn more about our organization, everything there. 
Um, I'm also on Twitter. Embarrassingly enough, I can't remember my Twitter handle because I don't give it out very often, but you can find me on Twitter. We'll plug it in. Um, And yeah, I'm both there. I try to share work and stuff on Twitter as well. So those are good places to find me. Wonderful. It is so good to catch up with you again and to have people learn about your work. I think you do important work. And I work, I like working alongside you very much. I hope that I can continue to work with you guys beyond June. It's been, I can't believe it's been almost a year, but it's been such a wonderful experience. I can't wait for everyone to see my policy focus. I think that's breaking news. We can, we can announce that, I guess, um, coming on the horizon. Really, we'll keep, them, we'll keep the, the title will come later. We'll, we'll, yes. We can announce that later. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's, IWF is really phenomenal, especially for women and even men who are interested in these issues. But I think IWF does a great job of elevating women in these spaces, especially in energy and environment, taxes, foreign policy, economics. So it's been a treat to be with you guys and I enjoy it. And I'm encouraging people to check out support, donate to IWF because the work is going to be critically important, especially in the next months and years ahead. So thank you, Charlotte, for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of District of Conservation. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you're following the podcast on your preferred player. We recommend Apple because that's where the largest share of our listenership hails from. And you can also find us on Spotify and dozens of other platforms. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And please, please, please go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify. Those help us go a long way in seeing how far we can go and measure our progress. So we really appreciate that. If you enjoy this podcast, please share the word with your friends, share links to individual episodes and to the podcast. Want to appear on the podcast, have an interesting story to tell. I'm all ears. Shoot me a message and we'll do our best to process your request.